Beehive Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Bees. Hey, welcome back to the third installment of the Beehive Sports Podcast. Great week for baseball fans as a regular season, the 2021 campaign is underway. Spring training, which I would argue is in just way too long. It's finally over. Meaningful games are here. Uh, with that, we're going to dive into some World Series futures bets. Just so you guys know, all the odds that I'm going to be throwing out to you are from FanDuel. Uh, that's the app I prefer to use for my sports betting. There are several others out there that are are good also. Uh, Barstool Sports has their own book. DraftKings. I know a lot of people in our area use Rivers Casino. They have their own app. So there's lots of different outlets to go uh, go through that you can find different values for specific games or however you wish to do it. So with the World Series futures bets, what I'm going to do is list your top five here. Uh, this is odds that have come out prior to the start of the season for you to make your bets World Series favorites. The Dodgers come in at first uh, to repeat with plus 350 for the odds. For those of you who don't know much about sports betting or are just getting involved in sports betting, what that number means, the plus 350, is for every $100 wager you make, 350 would be your, your winning return. Now you would get your hundred back on top of that, so your actual full take would be four fifty. But for the sake of the winnings, it is three hundred and fifty dollars plus your one hundred back. So the Dodgers coming in at first, uh, great offseason, picked up Trevor Bauer, so that's a huge asset to their pitching rotation uh, to to accompany Clayton Kershaw and some other guys who are pretty good. Yankees coming in second at plus five fifty. I think you could find the Yankees in the top five. Uh, World Series futures odds, probably for the last who knows how many years. Uh, they always wind up in there. They're always competitive. Uh, they haven't won the World Series since 2009, but they, uh, like I said, always maintain a competitive team and always end up in that in that top area for the favorites to win it all. Padres snuck into the top five this year, plus 800. Had a fantastic offseason. Their pitching rotation added Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, you Darvish. Uh, so they're they're going to be a team to watch for sure. A lot of young talent. Uh, Tatis Jr., just probably one of the best players in baseball right now. So coming in at fourth, at plus 850, you have the Chicago White Sox, who also a sneaky young team. They do have the uh, reigning AL MVP, Jose Abreu. Uh, just behind them at plus 1,000 are the Braves. So the Atlanta Braves still, they, they maintain with uh, Freddie Freeman, the NL MVP from last year. They always put together a competitive team, haven't had much success come playoff time. Uh, tied for them, so there's actually six teams I'm listing here because there's a team tied for fifth. This is New York Mets, who a lot of people probably haven't seen in the top five for World Series uh, projected winners in who knows how long. Uh, but they had a nice offseason also with the trade with Cleveland picking up Frankie Lindor, who's arguably the best shortstop in baseball, and also Carlos Carrasco to add to their pitching rotation with Noah Syndergaard. Three notes I want to make of, of teams who didn't crack the top five is first the Toronto Blue Jays, which I had mentioned in a previous episode, about a team that I think is going to be kind of fun to watch this year. A lot of young talent, a lot of uh, children from players who who I watched it when I was growing up with uh, Dante Bichette's kid and Craig Biggio's kid, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is on that team. So they'll be a team to watch. I actually placed a small wager on them at plus 2,200. Uh, just a, you know, kind of a long shot, but a small wager can go a long way with it, with the odds being as high as they are there. Uh, through the Astros on this list, being that they're my favorite team, uh, they're at plus 2,500. So that's another, uh, they, they, you know, 
don't have the pitching that they did the last few years. However, always seem to sneak around come playoff time. You know, they've been uh, in the World Series two years ago. Last year, they, they lost in the ALCS game. So also a team to watch. So another note I made was the bottom three. This is not a shot at the people in my area, but the Pirates do fall within the bottom three with the Colorado Rockies and the Rangers at plus 15,000. So doing the math, you bet a dollar, you could win 150 bucks if you bet a dollar on the Pirates to win the World Series this year. Uh, if you're going to do that, just give me the dollar. I'll take it. I don't, I don't see the need to donate it to a, an already rich sports book. Uh, the projected win win totals for these three teams range uh, from 59 and a half to 67 with the pirates being at 59 and a half Rockies falling somewhere in the middle. I believe it was 63 and the Rangers topping that off at 67. So we're going to shift gears a little bit. Now uh, we talked about some futures bets for baseball. I'd like to talk about futures bets for the NFL. Those are already out. Obviously we have a ways to go before that season starts, but it's still fun to talk about. Uh, so the 2021-22 NFL season top five rounded out for your futures Super Bowl winners come in with the Chiefs at plus 500. Uh, they are the ranking favorites. Obviously, they've been to the last two Super Bowls and they are the favorites to win it this coming season ahead of the Bucks, who came in second at plus 850. Uh, even after winning the Super Bowl, they're still coming in behind the Chiefs. Chiefs are, have had a pretty decent free agency thus far and Freed up a lot of space to bring in some guys. The Bucks did as well. I think I read that they're returning all 22 starters from last year. So that's that's definitely a, an accomplishment for their front office. Packers come in at third uh, with plus 1,100. The Bills fall behind them at plus 1,200. And rounding out the top five is the L.A. Rams at plus 1,300. Rams obviously acquired Matt Stafford, so that's going to be a, a different team to watch rather than uh, with Goff, you know, leading the way on offense. I think Stafford, I think Stafford kind of gets the short end of the stick a lot when it comes to uh, criticism. He's never, people, people don't think he's a winner, but I just, I don't know that anybody could be a winner in Detroit. They never seem to get it right with uh, their picks for coaches and, and, uh, you know, they get talented players and they can just never piece it together. So, uh, notes I made just based off of our area uh, where I'm recording, Northwestern Pennsylvania. The Browns come in at plus 2,200. Obviously uh, won a playoff game last year, really coming around. I, I know that when speaking with a lot of Browns fans, I actually told them that I felt that the Browns this year were what the Bills were the previous year when the, the Bills made the playoffs but lost to the Texans. That's where I, I thought the Browns kind of were. So it would not be surprising to take them, uh, see them take another step and uh, compete, you know, and get into the playoffs. That is a tough division with the Steelers, Ravens, Bengals, probably not there yet as far as being a competitor in that division, but they're trending in the right direction with a lot of young talent. Uh, see how Joe Burrows develops. And the last team I noted on here was the Cardinals who came in at plus 4,000. I only did that in spite of JJ Watt, not going to a, Contender, as he said, and he chooses the Cardinals. Obviously, the money talk there. Uh, I don't. I don't see the Cardinals competing in the NFC West, which is just such a tough division. The Rams, I think, got better 
The Seahawks are always consistent. The Niners had a lot of injuries last year, so they could be a new team coming up or, or not new team coming up, but just coming back to, to where they were when they were in the Super Bowl two years ago. So the bottom three, as I did with the Major League Baseball, with the NFL, the bottom three teams, uh, as far as, you know, projected Super Bowl winner, the bottom three starts off with the Jacksonville Jaguars at plus 10,000. Not that they're going to, I don't believe they're going to make a ton of noise, but here in a few years, Jacksonville just signed a ton of guys. They had so much money, probably going to draft Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer. I will see how he does as, as, you know, as a coach in the NFL, obviously he was great at Ohio state. So seeing what he does in the NFL and how that translates will be interesting. Plus you have the development of Trevor Lawrence. If they, if that is who they draft, I think that's the majority opinion is that they're crazy if they don't take him. Uh, coming in second to last, we have the Houston Texans at plus 13,000. Clearly, they got a world of problems going on down there with Deshaun. Players leaving uh, just doesn't seem like uh, an, a huge attraction for free agents right now or for anyone, really. So they, they round out the second to last in the bottom three. Coming in last, as I just stated, the Detroit Lions, who just never seem to get it right. They got a new coach, uh, Dan Campbell, who his press conference, if you haven't, watched it google it it's it's just odd he's a weird dude and i don't know what what how that's going to translate into into nfl coaching but time will tell so that wraps up uh, the sports betting section here as far as the opening segment goes what i do want to stick into the nfl on some news that that has developed in the last week the 17 game schedule has arrived uh, this is the first change in the amount of games played in the regular seasons in 44 years, it was 1977 when they went from 14 games to 16 games. Now they're adding the 17th that has become official. I spoke in a previous episode about flex scheduling and how this will affect that. Obviously it will when the rules were written for the flex scheduling we had discussed, they had X amount of time for week 17 games uh, to be flexed. So that, that will obviously change now to the week 18 game. If you haven't seen uh, too much about this story, what this does is it pushes the Super Bowl back one week and it's adding an interconference game. So it's going to be an AFC team versus an NFC team. It's going to be based off standings uh, from the previous year, whoever you align with. So how they're picking who you play, if you go back for, for the sake of this year's schedule, they're going back two years. Okay. So 2019. Whoever, whatever division your favorite team played, you, you do always do the cross division. So you have the AFC, your AFC team. So, for example, Buffalo. Buffalo played, the AFC East played the NFC East in 2019. So because of that, they're going back two years, and that's how it's going to progress going forward. So two years ago, Buffalo plays the NFC East. This year, Buffalo, or this past season, I should say, Buffalo wins the AFC East. So they will now play the NFC East winner, who is Washington. So that's how it's going to be calculated each year of who this 17th game is, is based off of the division that they played two years prior to that season. So you look at coming up next year, the 2022-2023 campaign, the AFC East played the NFC West. So this coming season, who, wherever Buffalo finishes, wherever 
wherever they align with whatever NFC team finishes in the same spot, they will then play a game next season. So, so the, the in two seasons from what I'm currently currently saying. So that's how they're going to figure who they play. Uh, something interesting to note that I found is that uh, this isn't the first time that they actually added an 18th week. I'm trying to find the date. I, I believe it was the 93 season was when they added an 18th week, but what they did was gave every team two bye weeks. Uh, apparently it didn't catch on because it was a one and done deal. So it's actually not the first time we'll see a week 18, uh, but it is the first time they will play 17 games. So the way it's starting off this coming season is the AFC is the host team. So the AFC in, in all of these 17th matchups, and keep in mind, they will not all fall on week 17. They will be integrated into the schedule just like normal. I'm saying 17th because it's the 17th game for the schedule. The home conference will rotate every year, starting with the AFC. So when we move on to the 2022-2023 season, the NFC will be the host of those games. Now, I don't know how that's going to uh, continue because something I also read that is rumored uh, that in the 2022 season, there will be new international games that could involve uh, four of these 16 new matchups that will be the, the AFC NFC extra game they're adding could be played internationally. So you have London and Mexico city who would more than likely be locked into that. The other places rumored are Germany, Canada, and Brazil as other potential destinations for, for these games. So I don't know how that's going to even out when, when it comes time to uh, who has more home games, who has more away games, or who has the neutral site. So we'll just have to see how that plays out. My thoughts on all of this in general, uh, I see the good and the bad. Uh, not much good. The only good I really see is that there's more football, which I, you know, if it could, if they could play as long as a NASCAR season, I would love that, but it's just not feasible. Their bodies can't handle that. It's just not, it's too physical of a game for anything like that. Hence the reason why, you know, they only play so many compared to other sports. So that's uh, along with the one less preseason game. That's another thing added to this whole deal. So they're going from four preseason games to three. I agree with that. I think they could even take it to two starters. Really? I mean, what do you, you know, the main starters you might see for a few series, usually in the third preseason game. So maybe now that'll be cut down to the second preseason game when the starters really get some action. Uh, but it's more, you know, those games are more for seeing your your draft picks and free agent signings, uh, undrafted signings. It's more for seeing those guys at game speed and what they're capable of. Uh, other than that, you know, a, a starter getting an injury in a preseason game, there's literally nothing worse than that. It's it's happened to every team and, you know, you miss out on a guy for an entire season because of a meaningless game. It just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, the bad part couple of the bad things that I noted here, obviously more chance for injury because you're now playing more games. Uh, so that, I mean, it, that just kind of is what it is, goes without saying. Uh, is it something that's going to be a factor? Who knows? It's just, that's the way the game goes. I mean, it could happen to say if it happens in the first 16 weeks and then, you know, so it doesn't really necessarily mean that that's going to happen. It's just another game that they're out there being physical and, and probably trying 
uh, depending on how it goes, because, you know, I don't, I don't see a lot of teams being so ahead that they can rest starters for two weeks or that they would do that because, you know, you don't, you want to keep these guys loose and fresh and, and in a groove if that's what they're in at the time. So uh, another, and this is probably my main issue with the entire thing is uh, the records. You're, you're going to see records shattered now, uh, whether it be the, you know, rushing record, the passing record, whatever it might be, single season touchdowns, sacks. It, it's just seems kind of like it makes it not as legitimate uh, since they're adding the game. So I don't know. It's, It'll be interesting to see. I, I, a funny note I made is that the Bears might finally get a 4,000-yard passer. That is something that I never knew, that they've never had a 4,000-yard passer in their existence. So maybe this extra game will get them over the edge with Andy Dalton. I wouldn't hold your breath, but who the hell knows? So, all right, that wraps up the Open. I'm going to take a short break, and I'll be right back. Take a look back at this week in sports history. Hey, welcome back to this week's edition of Sports History. Couldn't find an event uh, within this past week that I felt worthy of breaking down and discussing for the entire segment. So we're going to do another list of 10. So let's roll. Number one. 1931. Jackie Mitchell becomes the second female to play organized baseball, signing with the Chattanooga Lookouts at age 17. A day later... Mitchell struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig in an exhibition game at Engel Stadium in Chattanooga. I've actually been to Engel Stadium, and I've also been to AT&T Field, which is now where the lookouts play. I attended many games when I lived down there. So we'll move on. Number two. Jumping all the way to 1980. The great one, Wayne Gretzky, becomes the youngest player to score 50 goals at the age of 19 years and two months old. Number three. 1984. In the 46th NCAA Men's Basketball Championship, Georgetown defeats Houston, which ended the Cougars' five-slam-a-jamma era led by Hakeem Olajuwon. Hoyer center Patrick Ewing was named the tournament's most outstanding player, and Georgetown coach John Thompson becomes the first African-American head coach to win any Division I title. Number four. 1985. NCAA Rules Committee adopts the 45-second shot clock to begin the following season to eliminate stalling. It was then reduced to 35 seconds in the 93 season before settling at 30 in the 2015 season. Number five. Sticking in 1985. Tulane University disbands the men's basketball program after three players were indicted on charges that they violated Louisiana's sports bribery law. 
Players involved were approached by Tulane students who then conspired to arrange a point shaving scheme to win illegal bets that were being made. The program remained disbanded until 1989. Number six. 1992, NHL players strike for the first time in the league's history of 75 years. So 75 years, first strike, 92. The 10-day strike resulted in a larger playoff bonus for players as well as more control over licensing and changes to the free agency system. Number seven. 1995, same topic, different league. Major League Baseball and its players end the 232-day strike, the longest strike in the history of American pro sports. The strike ended as MLB owners and players accepted an offer to return to work without a contract. Major League Baseball baseball becomes the first major pro sports league to lose an entire postseason due to labor struggles. Number eight. 1996. Detroit Tigers heavyweight slugger Cecil Fielder steals first base, which was his first career stolen base in 1,097 games played. That number marked the largest duration for a player without a stolen base as far as games played goes. Cecil wasn't done after that, though. He ended his career with two stolen bases. Number nine. 2001. Ichiro Suzuki has two hits in the Mariners' 5-4 win over the Oakland A's and becomes the first Japanese position player to play a Major League Baseball regular season game. This one actually surprised me. Uh, Before that point, all the Japanese players were actually pitchers. Uh, You look at Hideo Nomo, Hideki Arabu, just to name a couple, uh, who were notable and people remember. Uh, But up until that point, there had been no position player who was uh, from Japanese descent. Number 10. 2019, San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich is ejected in an NBA record 63 seconds into a game against the Denver Nuggets after receiving two technical fouls during a verbal confrontation with a ref. I can't stand Greg Popovich, and I really think he probably should have been ejected sooner. So that wraps up our 10 history facts for this week. Uh, We'll take a short break. Be right back. that stand. The worst stories in sports, according to Joe. All right, we're back with the things that sting. We're going to revisit the Deshaun Watson saga with the lawsuit total now up to 21. The latest lawsuit alleges that Watson was deleting Instagram messages and contacting the women involved in the lawsuits through intermediaries. 
Watson's attorney, Rusty Harden, denies that Deshaun deleted any messages and categorically denied that Deshaun contacted any of the women directly. So let's think about this, the, uh, the alleged and then the response through intermediaries. So a third party is what these lawsuits are alleging. Rusty Harden doesn't deny that. He actually just directly goes to, he wasn't contacting them directly. So if it's through a third party, uh, courts will construe that as direct, indirect. They will, they'll look into that and base their findings off of that kind of thing. So I, I thought that that response was interesting because he's not denying that other people were reaching out to these women on behalf of Watson. So that's something to keep an eye on. Harden also released statements from 18 women who say that they have worked with the Texans quarterback and state that they never experienced any of the behavior that's being mentioned in the lawsuits. And and these uh, women openly were, they allowed them to use their names uh, with these statements attached to them. They made a kind of a big deal out of that. I saw the, because they're saying, well, the, the victims who are in these lawsuits aren't, putting their names attached to them publicly. That, that's pretty common uh, in, in a victim, especially in, in sexual assault cases. Victims typically re- remain nameless until, you know, the time of court or the time of uh, a trial. So there's nothing really too odd about that in big, in big cases. Busby, Tony Busby, the, uh, the attorney who's representing several of these women, recently stated that he wouldn't provide the evidence to Houston police. Uh, he listed a couple of reasons, one of which was when he ran for mayor uh, against the, the now current mayor. Busby called for the resignation of the now former chief who left Houston for, for Miami. Uh, so the chief of police, he was, he was concerned about that at the time. Uh, and it sounds like he's saying that he had knowledge of these dating back to when, when, uh, Acevedo was the chief of Houston police. Another reason he listed is the legal opponent, Rusty Harden, who I'd previously mentioned, has a son who's in the command staff of the Houston Police Department. Now, Harden does go on to say that he he doesn't he's not necessarily saying that Harden's son would compromise the investigation or or that it would be sabotaged for this. He actually even points out that he's thankful for Harden's son's service with the Houston police and, and, you know, has a good rapport with the Houston police department. He's just saying that it's more comfortable for him. It's more comfortable for the, the victims, the alleged victims to take the evidence elsewhere. Now, as far as that goes, uh, jurisdictionally, I would assume that the only place he could take them is to straight to the district attorney's office uh, where, where they could launch their own investigation if they choose to, uh, if I guess if Harden, or excuse me, if, if Busby really is able to sway them in saying that he doesn't feel comfortable and that his reasons are heard out and and believed or at least uh, honored, then the district attorney can launch their own separate investigation rather than them saying, well, you know, jurisdictionally, the Houston Police Department should be handling this incident. So that could, that could go either way, uh, however they want to want to do that. Um, but since this, uh, uh, since he made those statements regarding the Houston police, there was actually a complaint was filed with the Houston police department, but Busby states that he has nothing to do with this. Uh, whoever the victim is that came forward, uh, whoever filed the complaint 
you know, at the criminal end against Deshaun Watson, uh, Busby is not representing them according to him. So just a few points I wanted to cover. I was listening to another podcast, uh, me, myself, and Rye, the one I actually kind of gave a plug for in the last episode. Uh, he had a friend on the show named Brian Lastman, who's also a friend of mine. Last brought up a really good point during a, a quick bit where they were talking about this, the Deshaun Watson cases. And I agree with them. It seems just really, really odd for a guy who has the amount of money of, of Deshaun. To, you look at these guys, they commonly find masseuses who, who they use on a regular basis. They, you know, they find one they like and they stick with them or the, you know, two or three that they like and they stick with them. It just seems crazy to me that uh, a guy with, uh, you know, his money, first of all, his notoriety, that he would just go on Instagram and seek out all these different masseuses. Like, why so many different ones? And, and last, you know, his thought was that Deshaun's kind of fishing and, and seeing, you know, who will who will do more, who will, you know, maintain – uh, their level of professionalism and just give a massage uh, and and who will keep quiet and those kinds of things. So it was an interesting point that I kind of thought, you know, that, that does make a lot of sense. So I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. The second thing is uh, when this is all over with, obviously if the outcome, you know, is that he did it, then that's a whole nother story. But if it, if this settles, or he's, you know, wins a jury trial or whatever it comes down to, if he wins the lawsuits or settles the lawsuits, how do how does he proceed with his career? This is something that's going to follow him around for the remainder of his career. I mean, you look at uh, Big Ben and his and what happened with him early on in his career, and that's just something that he's never really lived down. I mean, he moved on with his career, had a very successful career, he's still continuing to play. Sounds like at least one more season. Um but it's still something that the fans will razz about and it, and it comes up and it's just something like, you know, and that's just, and I don't know that Ben's case is, is going to even sniff how large the Watson case is. You have 21 lawsuits filed against you. I mean, that's incredible. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. Obviously, you know, if it's uh, what I said previously with, him being found guilty in a jury trial or however it may go. I mean, this guy could potentially never play in the NFL again. And that would be a shame, you know, the talent that he has is that this is, you know, what uh, he chose to do and, and what have you, but we'll see how it ends up and uh, we'll continue to, you know, follow this story and talk about it on, in future episodes. Uh, so moving on, another story I saw that I wanted to touch on. This one's still developing. This is John Brandon, the Cincinnati men's basketball coach. Uh, so Cincinnati University, he's on paid leave pending an investigation after six players, including four freshmen from the 2020 season, entered the transfer portal. The investigation was launched amid reports that there was a rift between Brandon and players that had led to the requested transfers. So uh, this is something we'll revisit uh, it's brand new, and uh, there's not not a lot on it yet. So that was all I could I could really find on it. As far as anything goes, is he's just uh, he's now suspended pending the investigation. So we'll continue to follow that and see what goes on with that. That could uh, 
that could potentially end up being a pretty big story. So uh, last but not least in the things that's staying this week, we're going to talk about the retirement of Roy Williams. It's a you know shot in the gut to UNC and the college basketball, really. I mean, he's just one of the greatest coaches who's ever lived. Uh, he's been a phenomenal you know leader for the UNC basketball program. Uh, so he retires after 33 seasons of coaching college basketball, 18 of which were with the Tar Heels. Williams's resume includes more than 900 career wins, three national titles, which came in 2005, 2009, and 2017, all with UNC. It sounded like this uh, retirement really caught a lot of people off guard. I mean, it, it, Coach K came out saying he was shocked. He's getting a lot of love around the NCAA from teams, uh, fans, opponents, everybody. It's just, it's a storied career. Uh, he'll be greatly missed for that program and for the sport in general. So I just want to quick touch on the news that did break. That it sounds like Hubert Davis is going to be appointed his replacement. Hubert Davis uh, has been an assistant at UNC for nine years. He was part of the 2017 national championship team. He's a UNC alum. That's where he played his college ball. He's, he was a 12-year journeyman in the NBA after he was drafted by the Knicks in 1992. So it's a definitely a common sense pick. And actually, Williams had said that he's not going to have any say over it, but he did hope that it was a UNC kind of a family member who who they promoted to uh, his position or you know hired at his position, whether it was somebody from the outside who had ties to UNC or not. Obviously, there were some names being tossed around, like Mark Few from Gonzaga. But how, how does he leave that program with what he's done there? I mean, I, it just seems seems like it would be difficult. But you know, I'm, you know, money does talk. So, but it, you know, Mark Few with Gonzaga just they have their own thing going on. So I don't, I don't see him up uprooting anytime soon. Uh, another like another name that was mentioned was Jerry Stackhouse, who's UNC alum. He's with Vanderbilt right now. I don't believe he's cashed in a winning season yet. Uh, has an under 500 record, but he does coach Vanderbilt. So, uh, you know, if he does put together a winning program down there, he will definitely be sought after by some bigger schools. So, yeah, Hubert Davis, it sounds like it's going to be the guy. And like I said, it's just common sense pick. It's He's been there. He knows the program. He's learned a lot under Roy. So, sad to see Roy go. Meant a lot to the sport. Means a lot to that university. Uh Lots of great moments in his career spent at UNC. So sad to see him go, but uh, good luck to Hubert. I think he'll do just fine down there knowing the program as well as he does. So that's going to do it for this week's uh, Things That Sting segment. We're going to take a short break, and we will be back with my hive. My Hive, a 
look into news surrounding the Buffalo Bills and the Houston Astros. All right, everyone, we're back with another edition of My Hive. I'm going to get into the small amount of Bills news that we have here. The stadium name change is probably the biggest piece of news that has happened in the last few weeks. Going from uh, they dropped New Era Field, they're actually going to Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield Stadium. Highmark Stadium for short, I believe is what they said it's going to be called. A little disappointed. I thought Barstool Sports uh, was rumored to be all over that. I thought that would have been awesome. I know Portnoy's, you know, big supporter of the Bills Mafia, and I thought that would have been really cool if he would have got the naming rights to that. Uh, the other move they made was signing Tyrell Adams, linebacker from Houston Texans. He was actually 12th in the league in tackles last year. Uh, little do a lot of people know. He was actually on the Bills once, but didn't pass the physical. He was claimed on waivers in 2014, or correction, 2017. 2017, claimed on waivers, doesn't pass the physical, and is ultimately waived again. So he had a couple-day stint with the Bills at least, but uh, 12th in the league in tackles last year. Uh, a lot of people don't remember, but in 2018, when the Bills drafted middle linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, one of the things Bean said was that he's going to start his career at middle linebacker and would not commit to that him being there full-time uh, for the duration of his career. So it be interesting to see if they end up moving him to the outside or even defensive line. I would be surprised if it was the line because he's pretty good in coverage. So see what happens, but uh, that's pretty much it for Bill's news. Not a whole lot going on. We do have the draft to look forward to on uh, April 29th, Thursday's round one. Uh, so everybody's obviously looking forward to that as free agency kind of peters out here uh, over the next couple weeks. So we're moving on from the Bill stuff. Uh, what I wanted to do, because earlier in the episode, we talked about the odds to win the World Series, who the favorites were and things like that. I actually attended a World Series game in 2017. One of the best sports highlights of my life, you know, as far as something I've attended so I just wanted to tell that story, uh, just how it unfolded and how you know it all came to be. And uh, most of you probably know this story, at least bits and pieces of it. It was pretty well documented on Facebook. It's the only time I've ever gone live on Facebook was at the, the pregame festivities outside the stadium. So as it unfolded, the Astros are in the ALCS. They're playing the Yankees. It gets to game seven. The Astros win. I think it was 4 nothing. They earn the right to play the Dodgers. The Dodgers are, would have home field advantage. So in between, you know, the the, uh, the championship series being over and the World Series starting, I'm kind of looking around at tickets. Just It was more just to see how much they cost. What would it cost to go down there? Or even to L.A. I mean, I looked at both, both uh, options, but I was, it wasn't really something that I thought I would be doing. It was more just for, hey, how much are tickets? And uh, so the one night I'm home, looking these up, Devin asked what I'm doing. I tell her, I was like, I'm oh, just looking to see how much World Series ticket prices are. And, you know, I was up front. I said, it's not like I'm not going to go. I just was, you know, just seeing how much they cost. Well, immediately she kind of gave me the green light on this. You should go. You never know if they're going to make it back there. It's not like my sports teams, being the Bills and the Astros, have historically been great. So they're in a World Series. You should go. Uh, I ordered the tickets or the ticket, the flight, and the hotel. Basically, immediately after that, because I didn't want to give her time to change her mind, arrange some stuff with work, switch my schedule around. So I'm on, I'm ready to go game three, 
in Houston. It would be my first time in Houston. Game three Friday night. This is a quick trip because I, I, I'm, I'm, I book it. I'm in Houston 23 hours. Reason being, I have to get back to Pennsylvania. We already had tickets for Bills Raiders that Sunday in Orchard Park. So I'm going to Minute Maid Park Friday. I don't think it was New Era Field or it might have been the Ralph. I can't remember what it was called in 2017. But I'm going to a Bills home game on Sunday. So this is, you know, lining up to be the, the greatest sports weekend of my life. So, as I said, I've never been to Houston. I've seen the Astros play in Cleveland since they joined the American League. I've seen them play in Pittsburgh. I actually, during interleague play and prior to them when they were in the, the National League. And then, of course, when I was in Chattanooga, I was given tickets from the ESPN radio that covered Chattanooga sports. We worked closely with them, me being in media relations. I think the guy's name was Chris Goforth. He gave me four tickets to go down to Turner Field to watch the Astros play a, a game against the Braves. So I, I book everything. I'm ready to go. Game three Friday. Friday morning, I'm leaving my house. I think it was 2 or 3 a.m., probably 2 a.m. I have a 6 a.m. flight. So I get down to Pittsburgh, hop on the plane. A few hours later, I'm in Houston. So it's like 9, 10 o'clock when I get down there. My hotel room, obviously, I'm, I'm there way early. I Uber from the airport to the hotel. I go to the front desk, explaining them my situation. They were great. They, hey, we'll get you an early check-in. It's no problem. So I get in my room. Like, well, I'm exhausted. I've been up since 2 a.m. doing this traveling thing to get down here. I'm going to take a quick nap. That way I'm up, ready to go, and, you know, got energy for the for World Series Game 3. That didn't happen. Laid in bed, started ceiling. I think about five minutes. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm in Houston for the first time. I need to get down there. Get cleaned up. Call an Uber. And I'm on my way to downtown Houston. I think it was about a 20-minute Uber ride. Get dropped off right at the stadium. There's festivities going. There's people everywhere already. You know, it's not even noon. So I'm walking around, checking everything out. Find this cool little bar. I can't remember the name of it, but I go in there, grab lunch. Uh, one of the things that was on my list to do, I was able to check off at this point because watching Houston, uh, I always get MLB extra innings. So I'm watching the Astros games just about every night here in Pennsylvania, and it's on their uh, AT&T Sports South or whatever their their uh, branch is called now. I know what used to be Root when I first started. It's changed to AT&T something. I can't remember what, but... So I'm watching them all the time. I'm seeing all their local commercials and they always had commercials for this beer called Shiner Light Blonde. And I had to try it. That's a, I've found it a few times since in Warren, not very often. Regardless, I get, I get this beer, I get to eat, you know, I'm living the dream. So I'm walking around. Uh, I see Houston PD all over the place. First one I see who's just kind of leaning on his car, watching an intersection. I approach him, make, make a short conversation with him. Tell him, hey, I'm in law enforcement also. I'm from Pennsylvania. Stop me right there. I'm from Pennsylvania too. So I had like a little bit of a small world moment with a Houston PD guy who was from somewhere over by Harrisburg. So it was pretty neat also. So I'm moving, you know, walking around, walking around, checking everything out. Finally, I, I noticed that the doors are actually open to the stadium. It's super early. I'm like, okay, well, I'll go in, you know. So I, I walk in and 
people everywhere already. Uh, one of the, the one spot I had in my head where I'm like, this is where I'm going to try and stand. My, my ticket was standing room only. I think it ended up being about 850 or 900 bucks for a standing room only ticket to a World Series game. So I have no assigned seat. So it's up to me to figure out where the hell I'm going to watch this game from. I had in my head left field, outfield. There's the Crawford boxes. They have these standing spots with railings that overlook the field. Perfect. That's where, that's my goal. So I get out there after, you know, I'm checking out the whole stadium. I check out the team store. It's in Union Station. Uh, you know, I'm walking around as much as I can and in the outfield. And I see that these spots that I wanted to go to, they're already like three or four people deep. So I was like, well, there's, you know, no chance of me getting in this area. So I, I continue to walk around. Well, I'm walking down the third base side. And I get to about even with third base and there's barricades. I see a security guard and I see just one guy standing there, one, one other fan. And he's just, you know, standing at the barricades. So I walk up, you know, ask him, Hey, when are these opening up? He says about two hours before first pitch. Okay. So I look, you know, check out the time. We're about an hour and a half from two hours to first pitch. I think about it. I'm like, well, I've, you know, I've already about walked around everywhere I could go. There's no line. So I could probably, I mean, the, the, the first base side was barricaded also. So the whole infield, what would be standing room only was bare because they were blocking it off until this point, because they just probably just didn't want the foot traffic back there. So I, I figure, all right, well, there's one guy here. I might as well just stand behind him and, and then I'll get a good spot to watch this game. So I start making small talk with the guy who's standing in front of me. It turns out his name's DJ, DJ Ibarra. Uh, you know, he's a Houston native, lives in the city, season ticket holder, uh, some sort of package. I can't remember exactly what it is. I don't think it's all the games, but he has a some sort of season ticket package where he gets offered the World Series and playoff tickets and stuff like that. So I tell him my story. You know, little kid. Killer Bees. My dog's name is Bijo. I've always been an Astros fan, but I've never been down here. So it's really great. My first experience in Houston is a World Series game. Well, DJ is like blown away by this. He just can't believe it. So him and I, you know, like I said, we get to talking and, you know, I'm just going to, give me one second. We're just going to try and call DJ. We'll put him on the spot with everything. This is his name. Here we go. See if he answers. If he doesn't, this recording's gonna make me sound like an ass, so hopefully he answers. Hello? DJ. Joe B's man, what's going on? What's happening? Not much. Just working. What are you up to? Oh uh, well, remember how I told you I started a podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, so I'm actually recording right now. So uh Pennsylvania Law, I have to make sure you consent to that. Is that cool? I'm trying to trying to host a podcast, and not become a felon. So to make sure there's some crazy wiretap laws in Pennsylvania, I have to make sure you know you're being recorded. Yeah, especially it's cross state. So I don't right, know. yeah. Well, it's venues. It's, it's all venues, so they'll come after me for sure. So yeah. uh, I'm actually the what I'm recording right now is I'm telling the story about the World Series, and I just got to the part where I meet you at the gate, where we're the only two in line, and there's you know yeah. we're just and I tell you my story about how I'm from Pennsylvania. And I'd never been to Houston, and you were just kind of blown away by the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I remember. So, 
Uh, I had gotten there early. Um, I, I worked uh, at the time real close by. Uh, took like a half day. Got there real early. And then um, we were just kind of waiting for the, the for them to pull the, you know, the little barrier so that we could we could go find a, a standing room only. Right. Um, my wife was was pregnant at the time. Oh, yeah, that's time. right. Yeah, I, that's I, right. I got early to try to, to to squeeze in a spot for for both of us because she also worked downtown, so she was real close to the ballpark too. So uh, I remember like telling you about that, and then we <laughs> we formed an alliance. <laughs> exactly. We're yeah. Like, so we okay, we'll right. Yeah. Somewhere we'll just like elbow out and save some room for. And we scoped out a spot just down. It must have been. It was between third base and home. And we scope yeah. out a spot that there's a bathroom directly behind it, and there's a beer cart right there also. Yeah, that was like on our back. Right. Yeah. So by the time exactly. by the time these barricades get pulled, it goes from just me and DJ standing there to hundreds of people. Just I, I think I have a, a selfie photo I took where it's just people as far as you can see waiting to get into. I mean, most of them probably had tickets where they could actually sit down. But we took the standing room only, whatever. We took the cheap route, and we were we were smart for doing that. Turns out, so DJ and I get to get the barricades pulled. We make a couple other friends. I remember uh, the two guys who came with us originally. I don't remember their names, but I know the one looked just like Lance McCullers. So I was kind of confused by that because I was like, "Seems like you should be out, you know, in the bullpen or something." And uh, and. What, remember uh, when you got a hold of me not that long ago because that picture surfaced again? And who, who didn't somebody like get a hold of you and was like, Yeah, so it was actually, it was so weird. Uh, for, uh, uh, my cousin, like my, he's actually like my second cousin, uh, he's around about my age, just text me a picture that I'm in. He says, Hey, is this you? And it was a picture that one of the other guys had taken. And I was like, Yeah, that's me. Where did you get this? And uh, he said, it's my buddy, like, and he tagged me on the Facebook. Right. Uh, yeah, because I got, yeah, that's right, because I got, I ended up getting tagged in it, too. Yeah, so then I, when I got on there, I started tagging the people yeah, cause, that I knew. Yeah, because we, so how it went was it starts with our alliance is four at first. Well, then at some point prior to first pitch, we gained two more people, and it's uh, Dina and her husband, Big Rich, who yep. uh, I talk, I haven't talked to them in a long time, but. Uh, when I went back down to Houston a year later, uh, when I met with you and, and Devin and I came down, we were trying to get them to come out then too, but they were cool. Big Rich, remember he was a real tall guy. Yeah. And his yeah. wife, Dina, was like really short. And, th- and they ended up joining us at some point. Um, uh-huh. But the part that uh, always kills me still is when we get there and we get this, we got a great spot. I mean, it was an awesome, awesome, yeah. see- awesome standing room spot. So, yeah. and then this dude comes out of nowhere. He's a, he's a, uh, would have been an employee at the stadium. And he says, Hey, listen, I'm running this beer cart right next to you. And we're like, cool. And he goes, no, listen, if each of you give me 20 bucks, I'll let you drink all the beers you want. And they were those huge, like the they were like bigger than, tall bigger than pounders. Yeah. They're huge. Yeah. So clearly this guy like is, is just like, I don't make enough money here and yeah. I'm going to circumvent the system. <laughs> Cause we pay the guy a hundred bucks. Between five, five of us pay them 20 bucks a piece, and we're yeah. it's all you can drink beers. Yeah. So, and, I mean, we were putting it back. Yeah, we were throwing them down. I don't know how much you want to get to 
came on the podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we we tied one on for we sure. Got our buddy yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, that was just, uh, and then obviously you know they win the game five three, and the rest is history. I think they uh, did they they lose the second night. Yeah, because they split yeah, so split we, in L A. I got pulled. I got pulled in the lottery, so I actually bought three. Like we bought six tickets. The three, two tickets. The the three, the three home games. And I did not go to game five. Game four. I went to game four. I did go to game five. And you, game five actually had seats. And game five was the crazy one. That was the extra innings. Yeah. The one that was like thirteen twelve, where it was just like nobody wanted to win for a while. It was just you get a lead and yeah. they yeah. That, that's pretty, like, I'm pretty sure that game took a couple years. That's oh for sure, and I actually remember because I was watching that because that was Sunday. Because when I flew back home, I go to you know I, I am in Warren for just a little bit. Uh, as soon as I get back from Pittsburgh Saturday into Warren, pick up Devin. We go and stay at Salamanca, the casino up in New York, and that's where I watch Game Four that they lose. So the series yeah. is two two, and then we go. The Buffalo, I watched the Bills Raiders on Sunday, and then I came back and I sat at the bar in, in the casino and watched that entire game. And I remember a buddy of mine who's a huge sports fan, Kyle, uh, his name's Kylie. He's texting me like just this is blow, like mind blown, like watching this game because it was just so back and forth. And it was, I think the final was 13 12, but they were just, it was just run like just an onslaught of runs like the last like four or five innings. Yeah, and every time, like it was every time you thought, "Oh, that's it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, oh, yeah, God. I think, yeah, I think, like one of them had a lead ten eight at one point, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's." I think it was Houston, and I'm like, "Man, I'm comfortable. That's that's pretty good." And then, you know, they they come back and throw a couple more runs up, and yeah, it was just a crazy game. So, uh, yeah. So, so like I said, I just wanted to give my listeners a chance to hear DJ. So DJ and I connect at this, uh, you know, the World Series game three. He becomes like my only friend who's an Astros fan. And, and we start, you know, we exchange numbers and, and the whole rest of the World Series and then the off season and then the next season. And ever since, we've just been texting, you know, about the Astros, checking up. Uh, obviously, his daughter's born now. She's what, three? She's three. Yeah. So that's awesome because, uh, like, just such a great story to tell her one day when, she, you know, hey, you were at a World Series game. <laughs> you weren't, weren't born yet, but. Uh, so, <laughs> right. And then, uh, 2018 season, it was in April, uh, when Devin and I took a, what, four or five day trip down there. We were able to connect down there and watch another game together. Our wives got to meet. That was cool. And, uh, then, uh, what, 2019 was the Cleveland trip. Yeah. So right, yeah, me and me and my brother-in-law went up to Cleveland. Right. Yeah, and me, and, yep, me and uh, my coworker, Matt Mumford. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Matt Mumford come out and meet you and we party it up and watch it. Uh, Astros Indians. And I can't remember what was that, that really cool outdoor bar next to the stadium. It was like something parrot, crazy parrot or some sort of yeah, that was, that something was, parrot. But yeah, we went there. We went to a couple places. Yeah, we were. Yeah. It was a good time. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, while I have you. Well, I mean, this is so. This is the my hive segment where I talk either about stories about my life or or my favorite teams and stuff like that. Obviously, talking about the Astros. So, uh, with the being that you're down there, you know, you're going to have a way better insight of what the what the whole general attitude is and everything. Um, so, what do you? What, what's like the the state of the fans in Houston as far as the Astros go after the cheating scandal that? 
you know, took us all back a little bit. It was a little frustrating and, and you can't go on any Facebook page that has anything to do with baseball. If there's an Astros post that, you know, the fans are just relentlessly just won't let it go. And, and whatever, I mean, I I would probably be doing the same thing if it was another team, but so what's the, what's like the state of the fans down there right now? So I would say like when it first started to kind of come out, it, mine was, was kind of like, I have to like all the teams do it. It's not going to be as bad as it, you know, as it's seeming right now. Like, you know, we knew that the Yankees did it. We knew that the Red Sox did it. You know, it's just going to be one of those things. And then, you know, when the stuff with the trash cans comes out, all the videos and all that sort of stuff start coming out, it's, uh, it's tough, man. It was, it was a tough, like, like, like gut punch of, of like, man, why did they do this? These guys are so good. Why did they do this? And then, um, slowly it's just, you're, you're, you know, we had, I had people that, you know, friends of mine that were just like, like, F them, we're done. You know, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fan anymore. Forget it. I'm, I'm never going to, never going to watch them again. I'm going to throw away all my world series stuff. Like I, you know, I don't want to have any part of it. Right. And then, you know, I, I, like, I can't just turn it off like that. I guess. No, I can't, I can't either. And, and that was it. I mean, it, it is frustrating. You know, we, we invested, especially, you know, well, you, I mean, being down there and going to so many games and investing in so many games and, and we, you know, we see these players like Altuve and Correa who, and Bregman who, you know, now going forward, we have to really pay attention to how they're playing. Like, are these guys as good as we thought they are? Or or was it, you know, the, the, was the scandal a big aid in, in the numbers they put up and the wins they were getting? But, uh, you know, I, I think, Regardless, it's not. Uh, you look at how many minor league teams there are around the country. It, it's it's hard to be a professional baseball player. That's not yeah. something that anybody can do. So these guys made it there for a reason. They weren't cheating their whole yeah. lives. They weren't cheating in the minor leagues. You, you know. So it, to me, it's kind of like, well, you know, to get there, <laughs> you got to be pretty fucking good. So I don't. I don't yeah. think that. I don't think that. Uh, I don't know. And and then you look at last year where they made it back to the. You know, the ALCS, they were a game, what, yeah. a game or two games away from going back to the World Series, which would have been, yeah, what, three years in a row or, or, or uh, no, not three yeah. years in a row, but tw- twice in. Well, yeah, three, three out of five or three, three out of four. Right, three out of four. So, all right, well, hey, before I let you go, I have one more question I, I, I'm just dying to ask you. And uh, then I'm going to hang up and thank you for answering your phone, because if you hadn't, I would have looked really stupid in the middle of this recording. So I'm glad you answered your phone. And yeah. my last question for you is, have you ever given Deshaun Watson a massage? Oh God. I just to think I could say this all the time. I think just a couple years ago, we thought we were in a golden age of Houston sports and look at us now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't even really put it, put it in that, into that kind of frame of thought, but yeah, the, you know, the Astros and Texans are both good. Clearly, yeah. the Astros scandal is what you know that holdback is, and then now the Texans are just a mess. So, yeah, and the Rockets too. Like, oh yeah, the Rock. Yeah, the. Like, I mean, it was a we, we were a, a three sport. You know, right? Like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, exciting, fun teams, and now. Yeah. You know. It's well, hopefully our Strohs can uh, – oh, I did – actually, I, uh, one more thing while I have you is what What do you think the outlook is for this season? What's your prediction for the 2021 Astros? Um, you know, I think that the uh, – Oakland is regressing. You know, they, they lost some key pieces. I don't see them really 
being able to uh, to challenge for the division. I think the uh, the Angels uh, are a lot better than they have been the past few years, but um, you know, I think it's kind of going to be between us two. I definitely playoffs. I would I I think that we can get back to the ALCS at least. Uh, it's just kind of pitching is going to going to have to step up again. Right. So I don't know if the, the is Verlander guys. is is Verlander pitching this year or is he out for this I, year too? I would be shocked if he's back this year. Um, See that hurt that really stings. I mean, Grinky's not yeah. bad, but they really don't have a true ace. But I suppose uh, you know the way they've been working is that if they get uh, you know if they're looking good going into the trade deadline, they usually make a move. So I guess time yeah, will tell. And, and yeah, and I, you know, if if Correa doesn't resign, I I I honestly don't, I don't I don't know if he'll if he'll make it all the yeah, way to the playoffs. With he could be, he's, yeah, he's he could be expendable. That lineup, but but if we need a, a true ace, he's definitely somebody that we could turn around. True. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, well, that'll wrap it up. Thanks, DJ, for answering your phone. Like I said, I would have looked like an idiot, so I'm glad you picked <laughs> up. And uh, I'll, I'll be texting you soon, obviously. Yeah, man, cool. Sounds good. Good talking to you. Yep, you too. We'll Bye. Bye. All right, really glad he answered because, like I said, that would have I would look like a moron. But all right, that's going to wrap up this uh, segment, the my hive segment. So we'll take a quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Beehive Sports Podcast. Uh, I want to thank you all again for listening, all the feedback and stuff like that. I'm getting uh, some suggestions here and there, one of which I kind of really liked was like a little mailbag portion that I might add into the opening segment if I get enough questions or or whatever, uh, you know, something you want to talk about, hear me talk about, hear my opinion on for whatever fucked up reason you'd want to hear my opinion. I have no idea. But... If you choose to and you want to be included in that, just send a message to the Facebook page. I'll address them. You know, when I get a handful of them, I'll do them all at once and we'll take that as it goes. I do want to give a shout out to Brandon Perez of the Northeast Great Pickers. He recently committed to Mercyhurst University Lakers, the baseball program. Brandon's the younger brother of Jake Perez, who's a really good friend of mine. Uh, played a lot of softball with him up in Erie, rack and roll softball. Jake played left, I played left center, so we spent a lot of time bullshitting in the outfield. He's a good kid, and uh, Brandon comes from a really good family, a really athletic family. All really good ball players. Uh, so I just want to wish him the best of luck as he continues his career at Mercyhurst, and uh, go Lakers. So that'll do it. I appreciate everybody who tuned in, uh, continues to tune in, and we'll see you next time.